John Wayne's teeth. John Wayne's teeth. Hello, I'm Sherman Alexi, and this is the Sherman Alexi Podcast. Hello, everybody. This is Sherman coming to you live from my walk in closet. <laughs> so, today. I'm going to be embarking on a new project for you. I'm trying to do things with this newsletter that I might not do otherwise. So <laughs> to show you rough drafts, to read you rough drafts, very rough drafts. In fact, the very beginning of the story, the the genesis of the story, the first seeds of the story or what you're going to hear. I mean, thank you so much for reading and listening, and I want to give you a new experience that perhaps other writers don't give you. So I'm writing a new short story, and over the next week or so, or probably more, I'll be posting the various drafts until I arrive at the first complete rough draft. Now, generally speaking, when I write, it's like constructing a building. I begin with the foundation, and then I go story by story by story. I mean, floor by floor by floor. I don't want to confuse story and floor. Uh, floor by floor by floor. And, and sometimes it's just a house with three floors. And sometimes it's a skyscraper with 40 floors or more. So you're going to see me construct this floor by floor. And I always go back to the foundation and repair it and strengthen it. And then go back to the floors again. So it's a two steps forward, one step back process. So you're going to see that. You're going to see me writing out loud. I hope you enjoy it. So let me know what you think of this beginning. And here it is. If we speak as men, if we speak as angels. In 1985, Jake and Steve were freshmen at St. Cataldo University in Spokane. Jake was from a small logging community near the Canadian border north of Spokane halfway between two other small towns you haven't heard of. His father was the town cop and his mother was the school principal, small town royalty. Steve grew up in a house with picture windows on Seattle's Lake Washington. His parents worked for different law firms because they wanted their marriage to endure. Jake had a little bit of extra money. Steve had a lot. They were randomly placed in dorm rooms next to each other on the southwest wing of Agnes Hall. In 1985, there were no algorithms that paired roommates. So Jake was predictably matched with a kid from a Montana farming town, and Steve was matched with a dude from San Diego. City boy met city boy. Country boy met country boy. But friendship doesn't work that way. Friendships don't pay attention to the rules. Jake and Steve were strangers on that first day of college, best friends by the end of the first week, and were on their way to being lifelong friends. At Christmas break, after their first semester, they switched roommates. There were no hard feelings. Everybody knew it was the right thing. Steve had the only personal phone on the wing, a landline that was the most important technology in the dorm. There were community phones that accepted calls, but you could only make outgoing calls to local numbers. 
so Steve charged his wingmates to use the phone for any long-distance calls. His parents paid the bill, so it was all profit for him. One dollar for three minutes if you were calling your friends or family back home. Two dollars if you were calling your long-distance girlfriend. People in love were always willing to pay more. Though Steve waived the fee when the call ended in a breakup. He liked to think he was a romantic. He'd taken a Poetry 101 class, read Keats, and wrote a sonnet called Ode to Lake Washington that his professor said was earnest. He was in a study group with a girl named Linda. They read the famous poem about the red wheelbarrow in the rain. He didn't understand it. Nothing seemed to happen. There was no story. But Linda said, it's like the poem is a camera taking a picture. Steve was stunned by her insight. It was the beginning of a love that would last for decades. Jake had the only TV on the wing, a little color thing with unpredictable reception. It was almost exclusively used to watch the David Letterman show and Saturday Night Live. But in January, he was watching live when the space shuttle Challenger exploded. He was alone at first, but then Steve and 10 or 12 boys crowded into their room to watch. They were young and dumb, but nobody was young and dumb enough to make a joke. They allowed themselves to silently, seriously, and collectively grieve. And soon enough, a few other boys and girls from other wings arrived to watch. Jake barely looked at the other kids. He was transfixed by the epic disaster. He knew it was the first time in his life that he'd witnessed something historic, a tragedy that he'd never forget. He thought he might cry when they showed a photograph of Krista McAuliffe, the school teacher who was supposed to be the first amateur astronaut in space. Then he heard sobbing. At first, he thought it was somebody on the television, perhaps an astronaut's spouse or parents, or most tragically, a child. But Jake realized that somebody was crying in his dorm room. He turned away from the TV and saw that it was Linda, his poetry study partner. She was weeping into the chest of Steve as he wrapped his arms around her. He kissed the top of her head in such a tender way that Jake knew they'd already been intimate, physically, emotionally, spiritually. It was an intimacy that would last for decades. Jake felt two kinds of grief. He turned back to the television as a reporter said, in 1967, we lost three astronauts to a fire during a simulated launch. But this is the very first time we've lost astronauts during a real flight. John Wayne's tea, John Wayne's tea, oh.
This has been the Sherman Alexi podcast. Thank you for listening. Hey, hey, oh, hey, 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 oh.